Amen and amen, amen and amen. Well, uh, growing up, my room was filled with all kinds of posters, all kinds of pictures of thing, people, and, uh, and so growing up, I had people like Michael Jordan on my walls. I grew up in Cincinnati, and so uh, uh, Barry Larkin was the shortstop for the Reds at that time, so I had Barry Larkin up there, but I had, I had posters like Saving Private Ryan. I had posters like Gladiator up. I had, and then because I grew up in Ohio, I naturally had pictures of surfers. Growing up because of where I wanted to be, right? You envision the life that you want to live, right? Not the life you're living, right? I had those things all up, but they all had a common theme. They were all heroes of mine, right? They were all heroes of mine. And I brought my hero cape with me this morning that I'm going to preach from, at least for a few minutes, right? Because here's what I know. Many of us grow up. How many of you said that looks good, right? How many of you that said that looks good, right? How many of us, uh, we grew up with heroes? How many of you grew up with heroes, right? You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what were some of those heroes? Yell all those heroes out to me. Who were some of your heroes growing up? Was it? The Wolverine. Wolverine. Who else? What was it? Grandpa. 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 Who else? Who are heroes? Superman. Superman. Who else? Was it? Tony Gwynn, yeah, Tony Gwynn, you got to clap over here, right? Who else? What were some other ones? LeBron, right? That's why, that's why we're friends. That's why we're friends, right? Right? Of course, all of us have, some of you don't want to play my game for whatever reason, but so I want to help you this morning. I want to help you uh, with some heroes. So I brought some heroes. The first one, let me show you the first hero here. Who is this? Abraham Lincoln, right, one of the more iconic presidents that we've had and, uh, you know, accomplished a lot. And then of, this next one is just of equal importance, right? Let's put, who is this hero, right? Come on now, who is that? There we go, right, right? We've got the Black Panther in the house. And then this one is uh, one of the, the biggest hero uh, here recently, accomplished so much already. Put this up for me. That's right. This is Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, who just defeated the Golden State Warriors, right? For some of us, we're very excited about that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Many of us, many of us, we grow up with various heroes that we have in our life, people that we, uh, we admire, people that we, we idolize, that we would like to be, you know, all those things. But this is what was true in my life, and what I believe is it's true in a lot of your lives, is that one of the first heroes that we had, had is actually our dad, our dad. Right? And I brought a photo of my dad uh, uh, when I was younger there. So this is my dad. That's me right there in the middle. My older brother, my uh, younger brother. And then seven years later, they had my sister. But, uh, but this was circa 1987. And so he's got that members only jacket, right? Rocking. And he's got that Tom Selleck mustache, right? But like growing up, for me, that was like one of the first heroes that I had was actually my dad. And, and that theme that we have today of whole, that whole like dad strength thing, it was like, there was like nothing that my dad, you know, couldn't do. And we grow up with these different heroes that we have. But here, here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that we need more heroes now more than ever in our communities and in our life and in our world, that we need more heroes. And I would even argue that culture is actually screaming at us that we need more heroes. And the reason I can say that is because if you look at the top 10 grossing movies of all time, like seven or eight out of 10 of them have to do with what? Superheroes, 
Titanic is up there, right? But that's because we love love, right? But, but superheroes is up there. And, and, and its culture is telling us that we need heroes. That being said, we also, this morning, we need to redefine what is heroism. We need to redefine heroism because kind of the other side to our desire for heroes is that we tend to think of heroes as Superman, as Black Panther, as kind of this not even a real thing. And so we need to redefine it. And another reason that we need to redefine heroism is because what we're going to learn this morning is I believe that Jesus actually is going to tell us that only heroes get to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only heroes are going to get to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not sure if that's good news for me or not, right? Right? And so we're going to unpack that. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. I'm going to give us some context this morning uh, before we, we, uh, we read that together. But Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, is... Um, the context is the Sermon on the Mount. It was one of Jesus' most famous uh, sermons that he gave. The different disciples recorded different pieces of it. Matthew kind of gives us um, maybe one of the more comprehensive versions of it, but Luke also picks up on it. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, the audience, the audience would have largely been the poor, people that were in that have-not category. These were people without power, without wealth, without the connections. And so it was largely made up of the poor. And Jesus' message would have been so appealing because Jesus shows up on the scene. He's kind of from nowhere. He's from Nazareth, which we'll know if you read scripture was kind of a, a negative thing. So he shows up and he starts to tell people about the kingdom of heaven. You see, everybody in, the, in their world would have wanted the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, in their context, they believe meant that God was going to reestablish the nation of Israel back to a place of prosperity and peace. And they wouldn't have Romans or any foreign power governing them, but that they would be governing themselves. And so they wanted that. And so Jesus shows up, starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. Naturally, people were drawn to this message, but then Jesus had to kind of reframe what the kingdom of heaven was going to be. And his audience was the poor. Now, before we get into the passage that we're going to look at, Jesus had just given this sermon called the blessings and the woes. Turn to your neighbor and say, you want a blessing or a woe this morning, right? Let him know, right? A blessing and a woe. And so the blessing was, really, it was kind of like, blessed are those that were kind of in this category, that the didn't have, the, the, the poor, the, the meek. And so everybody in that audience would have been, hallelujah, I love this guy. Tell me more. And then he went on and he gave the woes. And the woes were kind of anybody that had money or was in a position of power. It was kind of, Jesus was kind of like, woe to you because, and he lays this out. So the audience would have just been loving everything that he said. And then he gets to verse 27. And in verse 27, let's pick this up here. He says this. He says, but to you who are listening, are you still listening? To you who are listening. Love your enemies. What? Do good to those who hate you. How? Bless those who curse you. Why? Pray for those who mistreat you. You can almost imagine the jaws hitting the ground when the poor said, what? 
Now, in a moment, we're going to look at it because enemies in their context was very obvious. Enemies wore uniforms. They had Roman uniforms on. And, and not only were the Romans uh, their enemies, but also the religious leaders in a lot of way. The tax collectors were, who were kind of in bed and ingrained with the Romans also wore these elaborate outfits. And so they knew exactly who Jesus was talking about when he said, love your enemies. In a moment, we're going to unpack who our enemies are. But they would have said, what? How can this be? Now. Since we are in Father's Day and we're kind of in this hero theme, I want to uh, continue, in that, uh, continue in that spirit, the spirit of heroism. That being said, there is something that I need to show you, and it's going to ruin every single hero movie you've ever seen before, and every hero movie that you will see in the future, because... All hero movies, and a lot of movies, follow a similar trajectory, and it's called the hero's journey. Now, the reason I want to show you this isn't just to ruin every movie for you, but I also think it will be helpful if you are following Jesus. I think it will be helpful in your pursuit of Jesus because I think your, your life of faith follows a similar path. But it's called the hero's journey. Put this up for me, please. This is the hero's journey. This is how it works. You have a hero, and they are called to adventure, right? They are called into something. And right after that, they usually meet some sort of mentor, somebody that's going to kind of help them. Now, this is the part we're going to focus on this morning. At some point, the hero has to cross a threshold, right? The movie could be over in like three minutes if there was no crossing of the threshold. So they cross that threshold, and then what happens? They immediately are hit by trials and by failures. They have a helper kind of along the way, but then they begin to develop, you know, new skills, and they grow, but we all know this because this is like the bottom of the movie that the the bottom falls out, right? They get beat up, they get defeated, the kryptonite shows up, whatever that is, and they, and they experience this kind of death. But also in that death, there's a rebirth that happens. And from that, they, do, they get a revelation about who they are or how to defeat the enemy, whatever that looks like. And then from there, uh, they begin to experience the change. And then they have that atoning moment, right, where they, they stop the speeding train, where they, are, or they win the battle, whatever that thing is. And then they get a gift. And then they return changed. And then the movie ends and you roll the credits. Right? Like that, that's like how it works. Now, let me, let me uh, uh, explain this through one of my favorite hero movies, and that is The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises. Batman. Am I the only one in here? Right? Batman fan. Not feeling any love from that. That's okay. Right? So The Dark Knight Rises. So you have Bane on the one side. And you've got Batman on the other. And if you know the, the storyline for this, how it plays out is Batman has been uh, in hiding for like eight years. He's been a recluse. And in that time, this, uh, this villain, Bane, starts to show up and uh, starts to cause problems. And so here's the, the call to adventure. But, but there's, the movie doesn't start until Batman. Batman decides to what? Cross the threshold and gets involved and starts to go after Bane. And even though Alfred, his mentor and and butler, which I would love to have a a mentor and a butler, wouldn't you like that, right? But Alfred gets in and he says, you're not ready for this. And he says, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And, And then he goes and then he fights Bane. And what happens? He loses. He loses the Bane bad, right? And 
back gets broken. It's like a bad scene. And Batman not only loses, he gets sent off to prison. And while he's in prison, he, he's recovering, and there's the death part that happens. But also there's this rebirth that's happening as well, where he receives the revelation that he needs about who he is and how to fight, how to fight back against Bane. And sure enough, Bane and Batman are rematched, except this time Batman is He's ready, right? He's ready for Bane. And, he, and then there's the atonement moment, the atonement moment where uh, Batman overpowers Bane. And, you know, if you know the movie, there's like this bomb that has to be detonated and Batman figures out a way where he can kind of get rid of the bomb and save everybody. But in the process, everybody thinks that Batman died. And everybody's sad, right? And then, but then we know that later in the movie, right towards the end, Alfred, the butler and the mentor, all he ever wanted for Bruce Wayne was to be able to find a nice girl and settle down, right, and live his life. And Alfred's over in Europe somewhere, and he, he looks out of the periphery, and he sees Bruce Wayne with the girl, and then the movie ends, right? Like that, this is the hero's journey. Now, the reason I want to show you that is a couple of reasons, but one of them, I believe that our life of faith actually follows a similar trajectory. I believe there's this call to adventure in which Jesus says, you can follow me. He, he, he would look to everybody. In fact, in the audience, in the Sermon on the Mount, he would have looked at everybody and he said, you can follow me. You are the people that actually make up the kingdom of heaven. And everybody would have been excited and said, yes, we love this guy. We love the kingdom of heaven. We want to live that. But if they don't take the step, it never happens. I think in all of our lives of faith, there comes this moment where we have to step across the threshold. We have to step into, the, into what God is calling us to. But here's the thing from the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Jesus' threshold that we all got across. You'd hope he would have made it the bar really low. You know, like, hey, it's just a $10 admission fee. Like, wouldn't you have loved that? But he says... Okay, anybody that's listening, ready to cross the threshold? This is what I'm calling everybody to. You got to love, yes, your enemies. What? You got to love your enemies. And what I think Jesus sets up is that this hero's journey that he lays out for all disciples doesn't begin until we cross the threshold of beginning to love our enemies. The first thing I want to give us this morning is that heroes cross thresholds. Heroes cross thresholds. If you want to live a heroic life, which I believe is in the spirit of all of us, heroes cross thresholds. Now, let's unpack this whole thing that Jesus said very quickly from verse 27 and 28. If you could put that back up, please. Because in there, there's a key word that Jesus uses over and over again. What is that word? You. Notice how many times Jesus uses a personal pronoun. Wouldn't you have loved if Jesus would have just said, love enemies? Right? Like, love enemies. That would have been like, great, I can love calories. Right? Like, I love calories, or I love working out, or I love the Oakland Raiders. Right? Like, whatever, whatever that is, wouldn't it have been nice for him to have said, love enemies? But he doesn't say love enemies. He says, love enemies your enemies, and immediately it would have cut right to the heart of the people because they would have known right away who Jesus was telling them 
to love. Now, the other thing in there is enemies. Enemy is one of those words we just talked about who their enemies w- was. And it, w- it would have been real identifiable and, and equally, um, uh, you know, uh, hard to hear for them. But in our American culture, we don't have enemies, do we? We don't have any, right? Like, like nobody goes around and says, oh, oh, just having trouble loving my enemy today, right? Like, no, nobody does that. Nobody does that. You know, we, like, like, we have made up enemies, right? We have the Russians, right? The Russians have, are back, right? The Russians are back. They were in Chernobyl, and now they're back, right? They're, like, haunting us. How many of you, you go to sleep afraid that the Russians are going to break into your house? <laughs> nobody, Right? Right? And the reason is, is because we, we, we have kind of gotten rid of this term enemy because our enemies don't wear uniforms anymore, but we still have enemies. We still have enemies. Our enemies, though, just look a little different. Now, when we phrase it differently, when I start to tell you about, is there anybody in your life that irritates you? Oh, is there anybody in your life that you don't like? Is there anybody in your life that bothers you? Is there anybody in your life that you've had to snooze them on Facebook for 30 days? Well, now I'm talking to somebody, right? Is there, when we start to phrase it differently, is there people, is there people that vote differently than you? Oh, hello. Are, are there people that believe differently than you? Maybe believe in a different God than you, Right? And when we begin to peel the onion back, it's not hard to identify who our enemies might be. This is who Jesus is telling us to love. The people that annoy us, the people that we hope get what they deserve, the people that vote differently than us, the people that watch different news channels than us. These are the people Jesus is saying, love your enemies too. Love your enemies. Now, How is this possible? I'm going to come back to this, but I want to give it to you. How is it possible to love your enemies? Let me me jump back actually a little bit further. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount and he was uh, talking and he was inviting people to follow him, I think there was two things that were happening. I don't think it was just negative. I actually believe that when Jesus, because when Jesus would look at the people and he would say these words, I believe it also filled them with confidence. I believe because what Jesus is saying, he's saying that you, I believe that you can love your enemy. He says, I, I believe that you can follow me. This isn't just a, a walk in the, in the, with the roses. I actually believe that you can do all of this hard stuff. The way that you do it, though, is different than how you've been approaching it. You see, you have been trying to do it on your own strength, your own might, and your own power, but I actually have something that I'm gonna give to you at the appropriate time that's gonna enable you to live this victorious life. And it's, gonna, and it's called the Holy Spirit. It's Christ living in me that enables me to live out the life he's calling me to. Now, how all of this is possible? Here's the point I want to give to you. All of this is possible when you have a fundamental belief in the goodness of God. When you believe that, when you actually believe that God is good, you can love your enemy. Do you know Why? Because you believe that God has your back. The person that's at work that annoys you, the person that you've had to snooze, like whatever that is. I know we're having fun with that, but we actually have some real enemies. When you believe that God is good, it enables you to love your enemy. 
Because you know that even if I don't get what is right, even if justice is not done today, at some point, God is going to make it right. And it's that fundamental belief that actually springs you into the life that God calls you to. But what is interesting, because it's true in my life, it rubs, the belief rubs on us. We actually are rubbed by what we actually believe. That's why Jesus' words were so uh, controversial. Because what he's saying, I'm sure people had said before. But it's only possible if you have this umbrella of trust in the goodness of God. Now, all that to say, all that to say, here's why this matters. Here's why it is critical that you know heroes cross thresholds. Here's why it's so important to know what Jesus is inviting us into to love our enemies because somebody's watching your life. Somebody is watching how you live out your faith. If I can just talk to the Christians in this room, if you are here and you consider yourself a Christ follower, let me talk to you for a moment in that umbrella. And let me even get a little bit more specific. Dads, your kids are watching how you live your life. I have, I have two babies now. We have, a, we have Ellie and we have McKinley. McKinley's almost two years old. And at some point, they're going to get to this age where they can make connections. And there's going to be one connection where dad says he's a Christian, dad says he's a pastor, dad says he's a preacher, but how does dad live his life? How does dad treat the unlovable? How does dad treat the person that has clearly wronged him? How does dad treat that person? And if these two don't add up, then I am living a lie. I'm not living out faith. And kids are smart. They grow up and they look at this and they say, I'm not giving my Sunday to that. That person, my dad went to church for 40 years and he is still as mean as a rattlesnake. Why would I want to go to that? They have stuff like football and Disney World you can go to on Sundays and they will make that connection. Dads, your kids are watching your life. Let me get dads off the hook for a moment. Moms. Your kids are watching how you treat your spouses. Your kids are watching how you live out this life of faith. They are watching you how you live this life. Mom's going to let you off the hook. If you have a friend in the room, your friends are watching how you live your life. Let me get you off the hook. If you work at a job, your coworkers are watching how you live your life. If you tell your coworkers, you go to church, you follow Jesus, then guess what? They are watching how you live that life. And they are watching specifically how you love your enemies. Because here's the thing, anybody can love the lovable. Anybody can do what's easy, right? Anybody can love those people. Jesus is actually gonna pick up on this in in, uh, verse 29. Look what Jesus says. He picks up on the, public, the publicness of this. He says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. How many of you, you would say, if you got slapped in the cheek, that would be a very public assault? Say, yeah, right? He says, if someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. He says, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it 
back. Now, what Jesus is doing, because he just made a statement about loving your enemies and praying for them and blessing them, right, and and loving on them, and I'm sure that there were those in the audience that were like, hallelujah, yes, you should love your enemies, right? You should pray for them. You should bless them. You should do everything that you're talking about. And then Jesus did this. Here's some concrete examples for you. Because all of these things that he just lists, they would have experienced in their life. It was not uncommon for a Roman soldier to open hand slap a person in their context. How many of you that that would not fly here in America, right? It's like, can you say civil war two? Here we go, right? That would not happen. We wouldn't like that. In their context, very different, very common to get slapped in the face. And not only in that context, it actually happened in the church, in their synagogues. If someone said something that was considered blasphemy, that was like considered like not orthodox, it was not uncommon to get a slap in the church. How many of you would love that as we walk out today? I said, do you live a good life? Not this week? Okay, well, there you go, right? Right? And it would have been very public. It would have been very public what Jesus is talking about. Because so now everybody's starting to squirm a little bit because it's like, wow, this guy isn't just talking about theoretical things. He's talking about things that actually happen. He's given concrete examples about how we're actually, how God expects us to love not only one another, but to love our enemies. Now, some of these things, get, they get lost on us because we just don't, we're not in the ancient world. But let me break down some of these things for us. The slapping on the cheek would have been uh, symbolic of, of being insulted. Has anybody ever insulted you today or before? Has anybody ever said something that was a slight to you? Maybe in passing, maybe in the hallway, right? The taking of your coat. Has anyone ever taken anything from you? Maybe they took your love, they took your attention. Has anyone ever taken anything from you? Give to everyone who asks. Question would be, you have anybody in your life that asks a lot of you, knowing that if you give it to them, you're not gonna get it back, right? Attention, they want your attention, you give the attention. Affirmation, they want the affirmation, you give the affirmation. You have anybody in your life that, they want, they, have, they want from you, and you know that when you get, give it, you're not gonna get it back. This is what Jesus is saying. And in the fourth one, he says, do not demand it back. This, this idea of restraint, restraint, being restrained when these things happen. And here's, here's I think Jesus's point, is not only do heroes cross thresholds, but heroes love their enemies. Heroes, what Jesus is saying, I think, is that heroes love their enemies. Because anybody can do the, all the other stuff. Easy to come in church, jump around, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, da, 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 right? So easy to do that. But what about on Tuesday, when your coworker says something that you don't like, how you respond then? You see, I think the most heroic thing that you can do is actually to love those that are unlovable, to love your enemies, to love your enemies. Now, Jesus picks up on this whole idea of you not getting credit for uh, what you shouldn't get credit for. It's in this next slide. He says in verse 32 to 34, he says, if you love those who love you, 
What credit is that to you? Now, keep in mind this whole idea of what I was previously saying, that somebody is watching your life. This is not, it's not intended to be anything more than the sobering thought that somebody is watching how I actually live my life, that my life actually has an impact on somebody else. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Now, sinner in their world was a horrible thing. If you were known as a sinner, that means that you were caught in somebody else's bed, right? It was very obvious that you were a sinner. And so Jesus is not sparing any words here when he says, if you do this, if you love who loves you, you don't get credit for that. Even the sinners love those who love them. He says, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even the sinners do that, expecting to be repaid in full. What he's saying is, you don't get credit for this because that faith costs you nothing. You don't have to have faith in anybody to do the things that are already happening. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up, because I want to bring our focus back to kind of like parents, and really if you have any kind of influence uh, with anybody, whether that's kids or friends or your, your social network, whatever it is, because I want to give you this thought right here. In 2005, there was this guy named Christian Smith. And Christian Smith is a researcher, um, author, different thing. And he did this massive study where he looked at 3,000 teens, teens aged from 13 to 17. Now, these teenagers had a specific context. They were teenagers that grew up in the church, that went to youth groups. So they weren't just people on the street. It wasn't Jimmy Kimmel walking around with a microphone, like interviewing people. They were people within a specific context. And as he researched them, you can put the picture of the book up. As he researched them, what he found was that this group of teenagers had a belief in God, but it might be a different God that we teach on a regular basis. You see, their God, and now they didn't didn't come out and like uh, articulate this. They synthesized the information and realized that this is actually what they believe. They believe in a God that has three parts, a God that is a moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, I want you to be good. Therapeutic, you're there to make my life better. And deism, there's a God in the sky somewhere. And it had five, kind of five central tenets of that faith, if you will. Put this up for me, please. So their belief, what they synthesized was that these group of church kids, now keep that in mind. It's not just random people. These are people that grew up in the church, that went to youth group, that had Christian education. What they found was most of them believed this, that there is a God who exists, who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Tenet three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. I wonder where they got that one. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. Meaning, God, I love that you are up in the sky somewhere, but then all of a sudden when they need him to show up, it's on your knees. Jesus, help me figure this out, right? Ten and five, good people go to heaven when they die. The reason that I wanted to give, give this to you is to make this one point. These kids, their worldview and their belief system, guess where it began? It began in the home. 
These kids are living out a faith that they have seen practiced in the privacy of their homes. People are watching how you live your life. Kids are watching how you live your life. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Because you should do some research on this whole project. There's a book called Sticky Faith. If you have uh, kids or teenagers and you want to be able to uh, walk with them through their, their life of faith, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. What I want to highlight, though, is what Jesus is saying here, and that is that people are watching how you respond to your enemies. That's why he comes right out with this pointed statement, and he says, love your enemies, Love your enemies, not because this is something that, that, that God is just demanding upon his people, because he knows not only will it change you, it'll change those around you. When my babies watch daddy treat mommy well when nobody else is looking, that has an impact on their life. When my babies see daddy reading his scripture, praying, bringing things before God, that has an impact on their life. But if I just show up here on a Sunday and blabber, 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 go home and talk bad to my wife and live my life however I want to live, then it's going to be no surprise when they get 15, they don't want anything to do with the church. What Jesus is saying is that people are watching how we live our life. Now, what do we do with what we've heard? What do we do? Like, what's the application for this morning? It's found in verse 31. Verse 31, Ellie, keep it down. It's my daughter, by the way. Verse 31, Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. He gets this whole thing and he reduces it down to this one thing. He says, if you will treat your enemy the way that you would want to be treated, not only will that have an impact on everybody else, but you will begin to walk in the newness that I have for you. You see, here's the thing. I think we look at the scripture and we think, ah, there's like a high standard Jesus has set. But once I get to heaven, boy, I'm kicking back on that lazy boy and I'm going to watch every single Bengals football game. And I don't think it works that way. I think the stuff that Jesus is setting up for us is actually what life looks like in the kingdom of heaven. He's not just saying arbitrary things. He's saying things that are intended to uh, form our citizenry in the kingdom of heaven. He's not just making this stuff up. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Very quickly, two things. I want to invite our band up as we finish this morning. So how do we do this? Here's Here's our hero's practical skills, if you will. A hero's practical skills. The first thing is, is what we talked about earlier. The first thing that you need in order to love your enemy, in order to step into this newness, is trust in the goodness of God. Listen, this is all possible when you believe that your heavenly father has your back. And you know when, you, when your heavenly father has your back, you are not afraid to not only love your enemies, but you're not afraid to live your life. Because you know, regardless of what happens, you know that your heavenly father has your back. Do you know that I don't worry about what is happening in this world? Do you know I'm not worried about who's in position of power? 
you know, I'm not worried about all the injustices that are in our world. I want to do everything I can to work with God to reconcile those things. I vote. I try to be as good of a U.S. citizen as I can. But do you know that I am not worried about any of those things? I listen to so much news and stuff like that. I'm sure my wife is super over it because I want to know what's going on. But can I tell you, I lose no sleep about what's going on in this world. Do you know why? Because I have a belief in the goodness of God. I know that God at some point is going to make everything right. I know at some point the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. I know at some point everything is going to be as God intended it to be. And that's why it's not hard to love an enemy. That's why it's not to live out this life that God has called me to. Because I have this overarching trust in the goodness of God of God. Just to maybe make that point even more clear, when you were growing up, did you ever have like anybody that was in your circle that like was just bigger than everybody? Anybody ever have like a, you know, a dude that could just beat everybody up if you needed him to? Some of you are looking at me so holy right now, right? I was growing up, I uh, had a group of friends and we had, one friend had this older brother. He was a wrestler he was like strong and tough. And as we got older, he started to hang out with us. And can I tell you, whenever he was in our group, I was not afraid to talk to any girl. In fact, he told me, Mikey, that's what he called me. When a bigger dude calls you Mikey, you go with it, right? He says, Mikey, you can step on anybody's toes here. Meaning, you have a free pass. Do whatever you need to do, right? Not condoning that, not recommending that. But my point is, when you have somebody that is in your crew that is strong and that is capable, then you are not afraid. And you need to hear this this morning. You need to hear this this morning. You have, a, you have God Almighty in your corner. Did that not do anything for anybody in the room? You have God Almighty in your corner. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus tells us that we have, a, we have his Father, the Father that created the world, the, the Father who owns a, thaddle, a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, whatever that means. He's rich. He's got all the resources. He's got all the might. He's got all the strength. He's got all the things that we don't have, and he's in our corner. When you trust in the goodness of God, you can love an enemy. Second thing is this. Pray, bless, do good, love. It's just a reversal of those things in verse 27 and 28. I think if you will, if you will pray for the person that annoys you, it will change your life. That is no joke. That is rubber meeting the road of, of faith. If there is somebody in your life that bothers you, if there is somebody in your life that you have had to snooze on Facebook for 30 days and you will pray for them and you will pray for their welfare, it will change your life. And guess what will happen in the process? They'll be changed too. They'll be changed too. You see, Jesus' whole approach here, it wasn't some sort of reverse psychology that he was, he was applying to the people. He wasn't saying like, hey, love your enemies. That'll blow their mind, but I don't actually expect anything to change. His whole heart behind it was the hope that the enemy would be transformed. 
The hope that that Roman soldier would be changed. The hope that that religious leader would see the error in their ways and actually realize they had done something wrong and would treat them with mercy. Transformation was God's whole goal in loving the enemies. These are the two things needed. Jesus ends the scripture this way. Let me end with this. I think it's the the last scripture there. He says, but love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And then check out this last line. Jesus says, be merciful as your father is merciful. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Be merciful as your personal pronoun. Your father is merciful. This past May 29th, I'll end with this officially, um, was the 10-year anniversary or whatever you want to call that of the passing of my father. My father died in May 29. Uh, 2009, I lost a four, year, four and a half year battle to cancer. And um, I don't know if you've ever lost anybody in your life, but you, when you lose people, you tend to start to remember some of the last things that they told you. I don't know if, if you've had experience, I've had this experience. So my dad, as he was passing, um, he had a conversation with me and that it's always stuck with me. And I was about to go back to, I was in college when he uh, pa- or passed and I was about to go back to college and, and uh, we just, he kind of, it was almost like he tried to summarize everything down to like one thing. And cause he had taught me a lot, you know, we had spent a lot of time together, I had a good, I had a good dad. And he, but he kind of got down to this like one thing and he just said, Michael, the world needs more good men. He says, the world needs more good men. I knew exactly what he meant. And if I'm honest with you, 10 years later, I have tried, I have tried with everything within me to live out that vision that, that, that my, my dad gave to me, which is to be a good man. Do I always make it? No. Do I fail all the time? Am I the best dad that there is? By no means. But I can tell you, I'm trying to live out the, that vision that my dad gave me. To, to be a good man. Can I leave you with this? And that was for dads, but this is for everybody. If you will follow Jesus with your whole life, if you will live out verse 31, if you will do to others what you would have them do to you, if you will live that out, then you will be all the hero anybody needs. When they look to you, they're not gonna see you they're gonna see something else. They're gonna see the real hero. They're gonna see your heavenly father.